feel like everyone has a Hall and Oates song, right? Whether it's the big hits like Rich Girl, You Make My Dreams, or I Can't Go For That, No Can Do. You know, and even if you don't like that, you should go back to the more raw, blue-eyed soul of Sarah Smile or She's Gone. Like, how can you hate She's Gone? And if you don't have a Hall and Oates song you like, I just can't mess with you. That's me personally. Huge fan of the group. Uh, and, and I'm honored to have, to have interviewed John Oates. Now, obviously he's one half of Hall and Oates, but everybody's more familiar with Daryl. You got Daryl's house. Daryl's the one singing all the songs. He even had some solo stuff out. Just the more visible member. But you know John Oates, right? Like he's the curly haired dude. He's almost more the symbol of Hall and Oates in a way. And he's a talented guy in 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 a way of showing that he forms this band a few years ago in Nashville. And it's all like great players, but he's playing Americana roots music. And he gets this idea because he grew up uh, in Pennsylvania. He was born in New York, but he grew up in Pennsylvania and he just dug roots, old bluesy Americana type music. And he wants to record a few Mississippi John Hurt songs. If you don't know Mississippi John Hurt, Look him up. They and John and his band put together this album, Arkansas, and then he tours on it for two years. And they record a live album earlier this year in January. And that becomes live in Nashville in this small space, this listening room. And if you've been to Nashville, you know these type of venues, intimate, but just special. And you can feel that on this live album, which John was gracious enough. It's kind of weird calling him John. But Mr. Oates um, was gracious enough to speak with me about when we spoke on the phone. And it's not just that. This is 50 years, people. 50 years of Hall and Oates this year, which is hard to believe. Uh, and as John said, he wasn't he wasn't counting. Hey, John, how are you? Uh, how are things going for you during these trying times? Uh, well, they've been pretty good, you know. I mean, making it work, you know, trying to keep it going. <laughs> just like everybody, right? Um and, uh, you know, I've been writing a lot, and I got a couple cool projects that came through this uh, period of time, you know, we're a virtual world, um, working on a cool movie called Gringa, which is a great, uh, really cool little movie with a girl who goes to find her father in Mexico. And uh, I wrote, like, five songs in the movie that I co-wrote with various people around the country, and one one in Mexico, a, a gal, a female singer in Mexico from Mexico City, and another hip hop artist from South Carolina. So it's kind of all over the map. It's kind of they're kind of modern uh kind of um modern pop-ish kind of song. So diff- definitely different from what, you know, I'm doing on the live album for sure. Uh it's not so roots roots oriented, but so you know, that's that's come out of this whole craziness, but um, you know, other than that, I'm maintaining. How did you get involved with doing a movie? Uh, a friend of mine is a director and um Actually, through Instagram, we we were chatting on Instagram, and he talked to me about the movie, and he said, "Would you have any interest in doing a song?" I was like, "Yeah, man, I got hey, I got time. Let's let's do this." He sent me a script, and I got into it, and I sent him one song, and he flipped, and he said, "Man, this is perfect. This is exactly what I'm looking for." He goes, "You want to do more?" I said, "Hell yeah!" And uh, that's how it started. So I began to uh, collaborate with various people, and. Um, pull it together and now I've become the executive producer of the soundtrack um, so uh, you know it's, it's really interesting how 
things can, uh, you know, things that you, you would never expect to come together all of a sudden start to come together. You know, I've noticed you've been doing a lot of virtual events during the pandemic. Uh, you seem to have adjusted well uh, to the way we're living now. Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely an adjustment in the beginning, especially. I wasn't sure how that was all going to work. I was It was very, you know, like, wow, how do you do all this? But, um, you know, I've gotten comfortable with it and... Uh, you know, and and then uh, you know started doing some Zoom writing sessions, which here again I didn't know would how that would work, um, but it worked pretty well uh, considering. And uh, a couple of the songs that we um, that we did for the movie actually came through these Zoom virtual writing sessions. You put this band together for your album Arkansas and toured with them for two years. What made the timing right for you to record live in Nashville? Well, because, you know, if all was, you know, according to plan, 2020 was going to be a big Hall & Oates touring year. You know, we had a 38-city tour planned with Squeeze and KT Dunstall. And, um, you know, we we had, at the end of February, we played, um, uh, you know, I recorded the, the, I recorded this, I'm kind of of messing around with time here, but... uh, I recorded this on January 9th in Nashville when there was no even thought about COVID or anything like that. Um, and the reason I, I did it was because I thought I wasn't going to be playing with these guys for the rest of the year because of the up-and-coming Hall & Oates tour. So when the Hall & Oates tour got canceled, of course, because of the world changing, um, there I was sitting with this really great recording. And uh, the reason I, you know, I did it was because we had been on the road, as you said, for two years. The band was playing really well. And you know, when you when you tour with a band uh, on the road, you know the arrangements get better, the band gets tighter, you know things really just come together. Uh, we added some songs, uh, you know stuff like that. And I wanted to capture the band kind of at its peak, where it's you know, and that's what I did. Little did I know that you know not, nothing was going to happen for the rest of the year. And so uh, I know it's a kind of a roundabout story, but so I'm sitting with uh, I'm sitting with a great recording uh, and in March and I'm thinking hey you know what I'm going to put this out because um, it, I know there's no live shows and I guess it's better than uh, nothing so here we go. You've played some of the biggest venues in the world with Hall and Oates, but this live album was recorded uh, at a show at the Station Inn in Nashville and it's this intimate listening room. Uh, what was that experience like? Well, you know, I, I, I do that all the time. It's actually quite normal for me uh, to be, you know, playing Madison Square Garden with Daryl and then playing a little listening room somewhere, you know, around the country, whether it's on, by myself on an acoustic guitar or with a good road band. So, you know, I love it. Uh, I think it really keeps it keeps it real. It keeps me in touch with, um, you know, the heart and soul of, 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 of being a musician. And, they, you know, they're both, they're both valid in, in their own way, you know, the... The big venues, the big Hall and Oates show with the video screens and the, and the, the, the kick-ass band, you know, is really uh, exciting and a lot of energy. And then the thing I do with the Good Road Band is is also very, you know, it just it just kind of keeps you in touch with why I started wanted to be a musician in the first place. I've read interviews where you've said the music you're making now is maybe more representative of who you are compared to your previous project. Is that true? No, I think they're both part of who I am. I mean, okay. I, I, I'm very comfortable in both settings, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I've, I've lived my life, uh, you know, I mean, obviously my entire adult life collaborating and working with Daryl Hall. So, you know, that that is certainly a huge, huge part of my me and my personality. But there's another side of me, too, that that is that really is, is um, it's really, uh, it's, it's identified and kind of, um, 
kind of formed by the music that I was making before I met him. And that's what my move to Nashville allowed me to do, was to tap into that and to take that as a starting point. It's almost like taking a step back to go forward and and using the you know my earliest rock and roots influences and folk influences to but but seen through the lens of who I am today and with the type of experience I have and my you know my skill level both you know on stage playing the guitar and in the recording studio and bring that all to to to, to bear on um on this great roots roots music legacy that I you know that I know so well so it's really, uh, you know, it's in a way, like I said, going stepping back to go forward, and um, and having the, these great players who know what this all is all about and really um, able to help me, you know, realize it. How good does it feel to have such a positive reaction uh, to making Americana music from fans who are mostly familiar with the pop oriented music you make at Hall and Oates? Yeah, well, I'll tell you one one of the things that makes me really satisfying for me is to know that the Hall and Oates fans uh, over the years I've discovered that they are very open minded musically, and they've allowed both Daryl and myself to to really uh, go off on these individual projects. You know, Daryl's got had the TV show live from Daryl's house, and everything that we've done individually has been accepted, and it's it's really you know I can't honestly, and I don't I'm not trying to brag, but I can't think of a lot of bands who, especially bands who have had the type of commercial success that we've had, uh, that are able to do that sort of thing and not have the fans react in a negative way saying, no, 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 we only want, you know, we only want Maneater. You know, we don't want to hear this other stuff that you're interested in, um, which I think happens to a lot of band, uh, groups. Um, they're almost locked, you know, they're, they're almost uh, chained to their, to their uh, his, history, you know. And with uh, with me and Daryl, we seem to be have have been able to break through that, uh, which I think is pretty incredible. One of the highlights of live in Nashville is you playing country legend Don Gibson's "Oh Lonesome Me," which is the first song you learned to sing and play guitar on when you were a kid. That had to be a special moment for you. Uh, well, it, it, it goes, it, it's kind of a funny story. Um, uh, it was a number of years ago. It was probably five or six years ago. I was going to play, I was booked to play an acoustic show um, at the Don Gibson Theater in Shelbyville, North Carolina. And I went to the airport uh, to, to take a flight over there and um, sat down next to this older lady and at the, you know, in the waiting area to get, on the, to get on the plane. And she was on her cell phone and I overheard her talking and she said, oh yeah, well we're going to go to the show tonight and um, we're going to see John Oates at the theater and can you come pick me up? And but she's talking to someone on the other end, right? And I'm sitting there going, "Wow, oh, this is kind of interesting." So uh, after she got off the phone, I introduced myself, and, and she she said, "Oh, she goes, well, I'm Miss Bobby Gibson," and it was Don, Don Gibson's wife, his widow. Um, and I said, "Wow, that's amazing!" And I told her the story of how when I was a little kid, it was one of the first songs I got to play. And she goes, "Oh, will you play it for me tonight?" And I said, "Absolutely." And so I walked out on stage on the very first song, and she's sitting directly in front of me, a little tiny theater. And I uh, played Old Lonesome Me, and ever, ever since that time, I said, man, I, I'm just going to keep playing this song. Uh, and, of course, you know, the band just, you know, totally uh, crushed it. Uh, and so, um, you know, we, we put it in the set, basically. When you first put together this band and recorded the album, Arkansas, how long did it take for you to feel that special sort of feeling musicians get in the studio? Yeah, it it, it was immediate. Um, 
I, uh, I, I never really intended to make the Arkansas album. There was no, I had no thoughts about it. Uh, I was going to go in, I just love being in the studio, and I have access to an amazing studio that, right near where I live. And uh, I went in to do it, and I thought maybe I'll do an EP of Mississippi John Hurt songs just for fun, you know, and put it out, you know, and just give it to the fans or whatever. Um, and so I cut a couple tracks, just me and acoustic guitar, and, you know, I sat back and listened, and, yeah, it's cool, but, you know, it, I don't know, I'll never do it as well as, you know, it'll never be done as well as Mississippi John Hurt, and what's the real point? But then I started thinking about it a little further, and I thought, you know, I've never heard some of these great songs recorded with a band. They've always, you know, they're always associated with the classic blues, you know, guitarist and vocalist. Um, so I assembled this band, very unique, and I, I said, I don't want a typical blues band, you know, with a, a harp and a slide guitar and a, you know, I want something different, something that will bring a different, you know, tonality to the, and, and a different approach to some of these songs. So I got, you know, first my first call was to Sam Bush, and, you know, anytime you can get Sam Bush to play on a record, you know, you're you're already home free, so as far as I'm concerned, because <laughs> uh, he's so great. He's been one of my best friends here in Nashville, and welcome me into the Americana community and all that. So then I got, you know, uh, Guthrie Trap, who I've been pl had been playing with, amazing monster lead guitar player, uh, Steve Mackey on bass, Josh Day on drums, uh, and I, then I got Russ Paul, who plays with Dan Auerbach, and uh, got him to play pedal steel because he's a very unique, he's not like a country pedal steel player, he's a very innovative pedal steel player. And then I found this incredible young cellist who's with the Casey Musgraves band. Of course, in those days he was with Sarah Jarose, but um, and I, I found him uh, at a club. I heard him play one night, and I just literally walked up to him. I said, man, you're amazing. Uh, you want, We should make some music together. So I reached out to him, and I put this incredible, unique band together. And the first track we cut was Stack O'Leaf, uh, the Mississippi John thing. Uh, and my engineer said, man, I don't know what this is, John, but just keep doing it because it's very cool. And that's how it started. And I was like, okay, this is something just happened. It just naturally happened. And that's how the band was formed. And they played on the entire album. There's not any other uh, musicians except that exact lineup. And then when it came time to, to start touring, I took those guys out, uh, and sometimes in various configurations because Sam wasn't always available. And then, of course, uh, Nat Smith, the cello player, went out on the road with Casey Musgraves. So, you know, here and there you'd have the full complement. Certain times it would just be the basic rhythm section. Um, and then uh, I wanted to capture it, and uh, the band got better and better, as I said. And um, January rolled around, and I, I, I called them all, and I said, hey, guys, let's go into the station inn and just play the show and record it, just so we have it for posterity. And that's what happened. You did all this in Nashville, and you can sort of feel – that magic vibe that people talk about living in Nashville and you hear that through these songs. Yeah. And you know, the station in the venue that we played was one of the first places where we, I played live with that band. So in a sense that was, it was coming back full circle and I've, ne I've always played there. I played there sitting in with other people. I played there by myself, you know, and I've never had a bad show in that room. It's just one of those rooms that just makes you want to play. People are right in front of you, um, you know. I don't know, have you seen any of the videos? We we have about three or four videos from th that we took from that night. Uh, we don't have the entire show, but uh, there's some stuff on YouTube you, you can check out. You know, I did watch a few of them, and there's something super special about that intimate feeling. Absolutely. Before this interview, I was reading that this year marks the 50th anniversary of All & Oats, which I found hard to believe. I mean, it's true, but... 
those songs you and Daryl made, even the early stuff, or maybe especially the early stuff, just feels so timeless. Oh, thank you. Well, it, it, I know. Um, you know, the, it's a testament to those songs. You know, we the songs we wrote seem to have stood the test of time. They they sound good. Um, they don't sound stale. And they, they somehow have uh, resonated with a whole younger generation as well. So, you know, I, I'm, I don't know what the secret sauce is, but we, we seem to have been able to do it on a number of occasions. Do you and Daryl touch base on Zoom during the pandemic? He's not that much into it. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's pretty quiet on uh, socials and stuff like that. He, you know, I send him emails every once in a while. He likes, he likes emails. And every once in a while I'll send him an email and he'll just come back with a, two or three word response, you know, it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, negative or positive. It's just that he's just, that's just not how he communicates. In addition to touring as Hall and Oates, there was talk of you and Daryl working on new music. The tour has been moved to next year. I'm assuming that the new music's been put on the back burner as well. Yeah. You know, right, right in February, before we did the first show uh, at Madison square garden, we were, we were trading ideas. He sent me a couple tracks that he had done. I sent him some ideas and, yeah, it was we were kind of getting the ball rolling, and then of course the rug got pulled out from under us, and and uh, that that seemed to put the brakes on it. I I kind of reached out to him and said, Hey man, you want to try to do some Zoom? He's like, No, no man, I want to be in the same room. You know, he's he's definitely kind of got an old school attitude when it comes to certain things like that. I feel like Zoom is one of those things you have to try it and get used to it, but then you're hooked. Yeah, I didn't think it was going to work for me either um, until I I did it, and luckily the first couple times I did it, I did it with younger. Uh, musicians and writers who were really kind of into it and they kind of guided me through the process and once once we did it a couple times you know it worked out pretty well what's next for you is the movie the focus right now well yeah i mean uh only because it's it's happening i mean mean, in real time right now uh they're in the final editing phases so uh since uh, since they've made you know since I, i got five songs in the movie they uh, said, well, you know, do you want to be the executive producer on this thing and help us, you know, kind of pull some more music together? The the movie has a very, uh, a lot of Spanish content, you know, because the uh, the, the thing, the, the, the gist of the movie, the story is that this young girl is in Southern California. Her father had, had left a long time ago and kind of checked out uh, to, to become basically a surf bum in Mexico. And uh, when she graduates from high school, uh, her mom unfortunately dies, and she says, "I'm going to go to Mexico and find my father." So uh, it's the story of her going to Mexico and just trying to find him, and the fact, you know, the kind of the the, the shock of of her showing up on his doorstep and uprooting his his life, and and how it all works out, uh, you know. And so uh, yeah, so it was fun for me to be able to read a script and see clips and kind of get inspired for that. And then I started to uh, you know do things that I'd never done before. Like I, I, sang, uh, I sang a duet with a gal from Mexico City in Spanish, and I've never sung in Spanish in my life. Um, and it's been really cool. Uh, so a chance to really do some unique things that I'd never done before. Do you speak Spanish fluently? I, no, I don't speak it fluently, but I can get by. And I, okay. and I have a good ear for it. I studied in school, and, you know, I, I, you know, I can get by it. You know, I, I, I speak pig Spanish, you know, just, just <laughs> enough to get in trouble, you know. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland, where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, and I'm curious what you remember from the 2014 ceremony where you guys were inducted, which took place in New York, actually. It was long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you had the misfortune of going after the E Street Band's induction, which took forever. Yeah, it was, it was so long. We sat at that table from 5 o'clock in the afternoon till well after midnight, and we didn't go on until after 11. 
Um, and what you, you know, the TV show that you see, the edited TV show that you see, uh, is not really representative of what actually happened that night. Um, oh, I was in the press room during the whole thing. Uh, I, you know, without without naming names, I mean, there was some drawn out stuff going on there. Um, and you know, I mean, I'm just sitting there, and my energy's like going, "Oh, come on!" You know, <laughs> what is the deal? So uh, yeah, I mean, it was a like I said, it was a long night. <laughs> I think the show is going to go live from here on out, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, you know. It, it's. It really should be a, a. They should tighten that show up. <laughs> well, thanks, John. I appreciate you taking the time to chat. Oh, thanks, man. Well, I appreciate you spreading the word. The, the record's good, man. I don't know how much you've heard of it yet, but uh, the band is just so damn good. Um, and the way they play and listen to each other, and uh, it's just uh, it's cool, man. And uh, you know, if you love music, musicianship and you love great playing, uh, this will this will be a record you'll enjoy. That's it for this week's episode of CLE Rocks. Thanks to John Oates for agreeing to talk with us, and we hope you enjoyed it. 